Well, good morning. Happy holiday weekend. Special greeting to those joining us at Crossroads, Highland Park, and the 01. So um, it's, it's just about fall. I think uh, by some definitions, this is uh, the last day of summer, and then people will start rolling back into town, and, and the nights will grow cooler, and students are already back in school, and We're in that unique little window right now where the Cubs are surging and the Bears are undefeated. And so we've got divided (laughs) sports allegiance going on. And there's, there's just all kinds of things that are beginning to pop up. And pretty soon, there will be multiple demands made on your time. People wanting you to do this and do that and sign up for X, Y, and Z. And you are going to be forced to make some decisions, not just between brands of Cheerios and vanilla ice cream, but over some important issues about uh, how you spend your time. I think the key issue navigating life in the 21st century in the West is making decisions about how we allocate the most precious commodity that we have, which is time. As our standard of living goes up, we have more and more options And uh, technology is sort of doing its own thing in terms of creating increasing options and opportunities and diversions. And so what we feel, (laughs) net-net, is what we feel is harried and pressured and overwhelmed because there's so many different things that we could do. And and the the real critical issue is learning how to, to discern between all of these good Options And so today we're going to go to some counsel from the Apostle Paul in uh, Philippians chapter 1 to see uh, how he suggests we make these kinds of decisions. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn, it's Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, of course, is one of four letters that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison. And um, it is... Um, this chapter, this verse, Philippians 1, 9, one of my favorite passages, when I preached my very first sermon back at Trinity, I preached some before, but at Trinity in a homiletics lab, it was this passage, and I, I chose it because I really wanted to understand how to make wise uh, decisions. It's a favorite passage of mine. It's, a, it's an in-house talk. It's a locker room talk. Next week, of course, we launched this new series, Future You, and we are uh, begging, pleading, imploring, praying that you are going to be inviting your friends. So we sort of move into a different, a different cadence, a little bit different approach, a little bit different adjustment in terms of who I think I'm speaking to. I use this negative five to plus five spectrum a lot to talk about where we are. Negative five is as far from God as we can be. Positive five is, is fully in his presence. Zero is a point where we cross over from darkness to light. And on a normal Sunday morning, I think I'm speaking to people from negative one to plus two. And we have other programs that sort of go negative three to plus one, like uh, the forum and, and other programs. We have some that we think take you from, from say, uh, from one maybe to three small groups. I think self-feeding is critical if you're going to move past three. But anyway, we sort of adjust that spectrum a little bit as we head into the fall series. So it's a perfect time for you to invite friends. This is, uh, this is a little bit different. This is an in-house talk to those who believe that the Bible is God's word and we're looking to it for 
counsel and, and correction and direction in terms of how we live. So Paul is uh, writing this passage, and um, he is writing uh, to his friends who live in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony uh, located in Macedonia. It's a small village started by Alexander the Great's father back in 400 B.C. He started it because there was gold nearby, and this was on the trade route. So this was the trade route of all trade routes. It was the connection of Asia, Africa, and Europe. And so lots of people would walk right past here. There was gold. He wanted to control this area. He offered uh, Roman citizenship. Uh, He offered soldiers no taxes if they would go live in Philippi and help him get it established. And so this city will last for 1,600 years before it finally uh, falls apart. That's a long time. Some important battles are fought there. None of that is why you've heard of it. Uh, You have heard of Philippi because in 50 AD, on his second missionary journey, Paul stops here and he plants a church. And then later on, he writes this letter uh, back to his friends who live there. So Paul, the great uh, enemy of the Christian faith, has a dramatic conversion and, uh, and then becomes uh, a disciple of Christ. And eventually, after a few years, he is, he is recognized as one of the apostles. And, uh, and he will become the church's first missionary. So he and Barnabas will be sent out from a little church in Antioch. They finally... <laughs> You know, for a long time, the mandate has stood. The last things Jesus said to his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, right? I'll be with you always. Go everywhere. But they had not gone. They'd done sort of Jerusalem and a little bit of Judea, but they'd not headed to the outermost parts of the world. So Paul finally takes this mandate, and they're, they're commissioned by this little church in Antioch, and they head out. And they're out on their first trip, and this is in Asia, planting churches. He hears that there's going to be a meeting, an important gathering back in Jerusalem to try and figure out how to navigate extending the good news of the gospel, of God's love, of grace and mercy, and you know, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, extending this to Gentiles. And so he hurries back. We read about this in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. And, and he sort of says, look, uh, some are arguing, the Judaizers are saying, if, if a Gentile wants to become a Christ follower, they have to become a Jew first. They have to be culturally Jewish in order to be a Christian. Paul says, nope, not going there. That's not what Jesus said. That's not the message. And so Paul and Barnabas and others prevail on that issue. And then Paul and Barnabas get ready to go back out on the second trip. But they have a falling out, quite famously. Paul's clearly at fault here. But uh, they, have a little, they have a little tussle. And then Paul will pick uh, a new travel companion, Tim- Timothy, a couple others, Silas as well. But he'll pick Timothy as a new travel companion. And then he and Timothy will prepare to head back to Asia. But in Acts 16, we read that they can't make it to Asia. The Holy Spirit keeps shutting down every effort they make to head into Asia. And then he has the famous vision in the middle of the night, go to Macedonia. And so uh, they leave that night. They sail to uh, Neocopolis, and then they will hike in 10 miles to this colony, this city, Philippi. 
And there on the, the first Sabbath, he will preach the first sermon in Europe ever. And uh, it would have normally been in a synagogue, but there, Philippi is a small town. There's not enough uh, uh, Jews to have a synagogue. So he goes down to the river, uh, which is where the Jews would meet. If they didn't have a, a synagogue, they would meet by the water supply in any village on the morning of the Sabbath. And he preaches there, and he plants this church. And um, he stays for a while, uh, probably under the generosity of Lydia, a prominent uh, businesswoman there. And then eventually Paul does what Paul always does, uh, and that is he starts a riot and gets arrested and thrown in prison. So some people collect Hilton Honor points, uh, Paul just collects prison points. And so he, uh, he ends up in prison there, he'll get out, he'll travel some more, end up in prison again in Rome, and he'll write this letter back to his friends in Philippi. So Paul will write uh, 13 or 15 letters uh, I think it's 13 letters that make up the New Testament. And uh, this one is unique uh, in that it's, it's not written to correct any problems. So for the most part, Paul blows into town, preaches. Some people come to faith. He, he works with them for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple times, a couple years, but usually just a couple months. He appoints some leaders, and he heads out. And these leaders end up making mistakes. They're not uh, particularly well-equipped for leading, so they do some bad things. And uh, Paul ends up hearing about it, and he writes letters. So usually he will lead by, you know, the first thing you hear from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, that's how he sort of starts his letters, because he's about to throw down the trump card and say, I'm in charge, and I'm telling you what you're doing is wrong, and you've got to change. So his letter to the Philippians uh, doesn't strike that tone. It is a letter to friends. He's writing to thank them for their support, for their prayers. When Paul's in prison, nobody, uh, somebody has to feed him. It's not like today where you're given food within the system. If nobody feeds you, you just die in prison. And so Paul uh, depends upon the Philippians and others to provide for his care. So he writes to thank them for that. And uh, I want to focus in today on verse 9. But let's start with verse 1. Paul and Timothy. So I'll just note, Timothy is the apprentice. Paul always has one. That's the plan. So we've been pushing the last few weeks saying, hey, it's probably time for some of you to start your own small group. So in Paul's mind, there are people who have not yet come to faith. There are people who have just come to faith. There are people who are apprentices, and there are leaders. And those are your options. And lots of people want to camp in the, I came to faith, but I'm not really ready to step up and be an apprentice or be a leader. Paul doesn't really have a category for that. And so we've been pushing and saying, okay, you know, there's this side here. I haven't yet stepped over the line. I'm new to faith. I need to be, I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to be in a season of, you know, 18, 24 months where I'm really trying to grow like a, like a weed. And then I move in and I start to serve and I start to love and I start to look to, to, to others to help them travel down this same path. So that's how Paul always is thinking. He says as much in his last letter that he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 
uh, 2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many, entrust these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also to get this path moving. So we hear that from Paul. We see it here. He's always with somebody. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. So usually it would say apostle, but this is a friendly letter, so we get servants. Actually, the word would be slaves. In the Greek, there's no question about it. The word is doulos, it's slave. There's six different words, including the word deacon, that Paul could have used if he wanted to talk about a servant. The translation teams translate the word doulos servant today because American slavery was so horrific and because it was racially, uh, racially informed, and that's not first century slavery. So they don't want you to think American slavery. So in, in the first century, uh, a slave could be a highly educated person. They, it was, they, were not, they were not slaves because of the color of their skin. They were slaves uh, generally because of debt. And they could hold significant positions. They just didn't have any rights. Okay? They had lost their citizenship rights. They are, they are owned. And so Paul is making that case. He's making that statement about himself. He is saying, uh, I am a slave. I have no rights. I'm a slave of God's. I am a slave, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is boilerplate stuff, standard, hi, how are you, how's the weather, go bears. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just sort of a generic, people aren't even thinking about it. And, and we get more of that in verse 3. Paul always, and not just Paul, but others always Christians would always start their letter by saying, I'm praying for you. Okay? So I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, and then he says, being confident, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this is good news here. By the way, don't miss this. If some of you have an image of yourself holding on to God, that's the wrong image. Right? God holds on to you. And, and God is the actor here. God is the hero here. God is it. So, so Paul is expressing this, this, is, this is incredibly good, reassuring news. He who began a good work in you, We'll complete it, right? I've, I'm confident of this, that God is not going to let go of you. So this week I had uh, uh, three friends who all are watching their life sort of melt down. I got phone calls. They're not local. But I got three different phone calls, three different parts of the country, and all three of them suddenly in a crisis. And... Uh, one of them, I think, is going to lose their, his job. One of them, I think, is going to lose his marriage. And uh, in two of the three cases, it's, it's for stupid moves. So they, they call with a sense of shame, right? They call saying, I did this, and now this is happening. And I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. 
And so we have a half-hour conversation talking about what the next steps could be and should be and how this can play out and, and okay, what are you going to do tomorrow? Let's, let's just sequence this. Let's think about it. And then uh, I have the privilege, really privilege, joy, to say, okay, let, before you go, let, let me just, let's stop here. Let me just say this. What has happened does not change what matters, right? God loves you. You have to hear that. God loves you. He's not surprised by your sin. He's not, he's not surprised by your brokenness. Christ died for your brokenness, right? The good news is we are more broken than we dare admit, but God knows how broken we are. And God's love is greater than we can possibly imagine, and it reaches us in the depths of our despair. And, and it's, it's a work that he does. So I want you to hear that you're going to have to pay probably a pretty big idiot tax for this. I'm sorry. But your relationship with God is fine. And this ends well. He who began a good work in you will complete it. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So hear what's going on here, right? You have not broken your relationship with God. So let's go from there. So this is good news that, uh, that Paul sort of casually says in verse 6. Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. Uh, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. You really understand how he's writing to friends when you compare like his letter to the Corinthians or the Galatians. I mean, he's so mad at the Galatians, he can hardly stand it because they've, they've polluted the gospel, and so he's, he comes out firing. So this is, a, this is a letter to friends. And then we get to today's passage, verse 9. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is my prayer. So it's worth just noting what he doesn't pray. Okay, Paul's in prison. <laughs> you would think, and this is my prayer, that I get out of prison, right? right? This is my prayer, that I get out of this, this hole that I'm in. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, and this is my prayer for you, that you have an easy life, that things work out, good parking, all of that. He doesn't say any of that. He says, this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound. And he uses the word agape here. So there's four Greek words for love. Eros, which is, you know, passion, physical love, erotic. We get the word erotic from the eros. Then there's... Uh, there's phileo, which is sort of brotherly love. It's, it's non-sexual love. It's love between friends. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Phila, it comes from the word phileo. The sturge is the word for the uh, affection or the love a parent has for their, for their child. And then we have agape, which is sort of the big word. And um, agape is the word that is most often used to describe God's love. This is a this is an unconditional love. This is not a. This is not an object elicited love. 
Okay, this is not a, I, I love because this is lovable in front of me. This is a subject-generated love. I am making a commitment to love. I am making a commitment of my will to act in the best interest of this person, right? That's, that is the kind of love we see uh, from God. That's, that's sort of what underlies the idea of agape, and that's the word that is used here. And this is a Agape love is hard to do. The more informed we are about the world, about people, because people are like us, right? There's some wonderful, fantastic, good things, and there's some dark, horrible things. And the world has some wonderful, beautiful, majestic things, and it's got injustice and pain and suffering, right? So the more we know the more wisdom and insight we have, the the more difficult it can be to love if love is not understood to be a commitment. And so Paul says, I'm praying that your love, your commitment, the commitment of your will, the decisions you make to act in the best interest of, of others and the kingdom of God, I pray that your love may abound. Literally, it's spilling over. It's like a fountain. It, it just continues to pour out the sides. That your love may abound in knowledge and insight. So the words that are used here are, are unique. It's not the word gnosis, which is the typical word for knowledge. It's epigenosis, which has a, has a spiritual component to it. It's a little bit more uh, God kind of knowledge. Th- this, is not, this is not that you have an understanding of truth. Right, like the, you, that you understand propositional truth. Two plus two equals four. It's not that kind of knowledge. It, it's not knowing about something. It's knowing something. Right? It's experiencing that. I pray that your love may abound uh, in real knowledge and all discernment. Um, the, the effort of the translation teams here is the word would just be translated knowledge, but they say real knowledge, all knowledge, spiritual knowledge, because they're trying to get the depth. This is a bigger word. This is a more robust term. That your love may abound in knowledge and all discernment so that, and here's the, here's the pay dirt here, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. So I'm praying for you, I care for you, I love you, I am praying for you, and this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that your love abounds. I'm praying that this love is spiritually informed so that you will approve the things that are excellent. So that you will make wise choices when it comes to all the options that you have. The challenge, let's just, let's just, you know, I mean, this is not new, but it's something we've got to be reminded of. The challenge today, the challenge for you, I'm, I'm almost positive, is not between, you know, glorious good and wretchedly evil. It's not between helping a little old lady across the street and robbing a bank, right? It's not a, it's not a tough decision for you to make. The difficulty lies in choosing between the good and the best, and, and the limiting variable for all of us now is time. It's not food. It's not money. It's not opportunities. It's time. 
So how are you going to spend your very precious time? <clears throat> this summer I listened um, to um, one of these great courses that you can get from this one. was The Teaching Company. It was a, it was a class on decision-making from a Harvard Business School professor. And as a, as a pastor, lots of people show up and uh, send me emails or make an appointment and say, I need to make, you know, I need to make a decision. We need to make a decision. We need to decide, you know, we're we going to take this new job. We're we going to sell our house. Are we going to get married? Are we going to do this? You know, we have this big decision. We want to make the right decision. So, so we are here asking for your, your input and your help and your prayer that we would make the right decision. So when people come to me uh, as a pastor, they're not hoping that I've taken Harvard Business School's class decision-making so that I will give them great, you know, tactical counsel about how to make a good decision. Uh, they're looking for prayer. They're looking for biblical insight. And this happens all the time, right? Well, if the decision is big enough, people get weak need, and they, they come and they say, we want to be sure we're doing this right. Right? This is a big one. Sometimes you make decisions you don't know they're big, but they turn out to be big in retrospect. Sometimes you go, this is a big decision. <laughs> and we want to be certain that we make the right decision before God. So I've not had, you know, 50 of these conversations. I've had 5,000 of these conversations over 30 years. So I'm, I'm pretty well schooled in terms of what I say to people. Okay, well, um, first of all, what we ought to understand is that the, the big goal here is to seek God, not an answer to this particular decision, right? I mean, God is going to be more honored. This is going to work better if you're seeking him, not just going to him for something, right? So we're, we're, going, to, we're going to think about this as seeking God. And secondly, I want you, I want you to relax. This is not a trick. This is not a trap, Right? There's already a win here. You are humble before God. You are seeking his counsel. This is a, now, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy going forward, but this, you're in a good spot. So I, I, want you, I want you to relax. You're right to pray about this. That's Paul's example right here. I pray that your love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so you may prove the things that are excellent. We've got good biblical precedent for coming before God in prayer. Perhaps this is something you should, you should be fasting over. So there's, but I want you to relax. I want you to see this as an opportunity. And then we talk about um, we need to use the resources God has given us. So we're praying about this. We're going to go to Scripture. Sometimes Scripture is very clear about what should happen. And, and so we don't have to wonder what the right move is. So we're going to go to Scripture we're, we're going we're gonna to mine the, the, the sanctified common sense of, of people who are living a good life and have perhaps the ability to, to sort of shine truth in on this. And, uh, and, and then you're going to make a decision um, because my bias is to say, you know, the moving ball is easier to to direct, right? Physics suggests that. And I would say we see that in Acts 16. Paul, an apostle, writes a third of the books of the New Testament. Paul is, in, is looking to go to Asia 
trying hard. He knows that it's God's desire that he go without and, and, and preaches and starts churches. That, it's clear. They got that message from Jesus. So he knows what he's supposed to be doing. But he's actually, Paul is actually headed to the wrong continent. He's not a little bit off here. He's, he's going to miss by a continent. But God directs him. Right? So sometimes you say, I, I've got to, you know, just, let's just start down a path here. And pray that if it's the wrong path, it will seem good to the Holy Spirit to shut those doors. So I, I sort of have a, a, an approach of how we try to discern God's will. But under the increased sanctified common sense here, I thought, I'm going to take this class on decision making and uh, see what I learn. And so, you know, it's, it's what you would expect of a business class. There's a lot of uh, you break everything down into lots of parts, and they're studying the cognitive biases and these misbeliefs and da da da. And all done in the context of case studies. The bad decision of Kennedy to launch the Bay of Pigs uh, attack, the bad decision of the space shuttle Challenger uh, team to launch that with the with the weakened dough rings, the bad decision, you know, to whatever. There's, there's this classic bad decisions. Try and summit Everest where in 96 where lots of people will die. So it's all fascinating. Here was my takeaway at the end. I, I, got, I got all these notes from this class. And then I sort of go back and I'm looking at, at what Paul has said here. I realized brilliant insight around tactics and how to do this. And what Paul is praying is for better motivation. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. He doesn't give advice about how to make the decision. He doesn't even pray that their knowledge increases. He prays that their love increases in knowledge, so that you will approve the things that are excellent. I promise you, you will not have enough time this fall. I promise you, you will not have enough time this fall to do all the things that you could do. You just, you won't. You can't. The challenge before us is to approve the things that are excellent. (laughs) To pick between the good and the gooder, right? Between the good and the best. That is an ongoing challenge. And, And having a heart that is in love with God and in love with his kingdom and in love with people is going to lead you down the right path. What does love require is a question we should be asking. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your, your book, your son, Spirit of God, thank you for wisdom and direction. Thank you for closing doors. Help us to develop hearts that are soft and can sense when you are leading and guiding. Help us to abound in love for others, for for you, for your kingdom, for the work of your kingdom. Help us to be able to see these things in light of a different perspective, a different agenda. Help us learn uh, to say no to good options so that we have time and energy to say yes to the best ones. May our love abound in real knowledge and all discernment so that we can do the right things. In Christ's name, amen.